Hello, brethren. Brother Bob here again. In this podcast, I want to talk about pleasing God. Sadly, there are a lot of believers in the church who think that they have nothing to offer God. There are a lot of believers in the church who foolishly think that they can do nothing to make themselves look pleasing to the Lord. And doubly sad is the fact that many believers in the church believe that any attempt by them to do any good works is a waste of time in the eyes of a holy and just God. Well, not only is that idea unbiblical, it's stupid. Just saying. Now, before I get into this podcast topic, I want to share some things with my listeners. Please, please, please encourage those believers that you know who aren't listening to my podcast to listen to my podcast. A lot of important information on there, especially in these end times here. I'll get into this a little bit. I just want to share my thoughts of the day, thoughts that I think that the church needs to hear. Saints, it's not going to get any better out there in the world. Contrary to what many emotionally driven, Pentecostally-like believers tell you, the scriptures, specifically Yeshua Christ, tell us that in the end time, the church is going to be a spiritual mess. And although voting for the right people is good, for moral thinking and decent living Americans at least, voting is not the solution for the world that is dying spiritually. However, and sadly, many even in the conservative Christian realm are tolerating or even accepting those things that the God of the Bible deems immoral. I challenge you to find one professing conservative politician or talk show host who will speak out against gay gay marriage these days. Now, I'm against gay marriage because God's against gay marriage, just as I'm against stealing and lying and adultery because God is against those things. So if you have a problem with my views on why I'm against stuff, you take it up with God. I didn't write the book. I'm just following its orders. Brethren, this world has crossed over to the dark side. And for the most part, God's church is not far behind them. Sadly, Satan and his minions are having an easy time infesting all aspects of this world with the same types of evil and wicked immorality that forced the Lord to judge this world during the time of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to share my opinion with you on some things. Now, even though these are my opinions, I would encourage you to please listen carefully. I truly believe that America is the Babylon spoken of in the book of Revelation, and the great city spoken of is New York. And just for the record, the Babylon, the city of Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar's day, permanently destroyed 2,000 years ago. So when the Bible mentions a Babylon, it's not the Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar's day. Now, I'm not going to go into all the reasons why I believe America is the Babylon spoken of in the book of Revelations in this podcast. But for now, what you need to know about Babylon's judgment in the book of Revelation, is that it was quick. Much unlike the seven years of judgment that's going to go on during the tribulation period, the judgment of Babylon happens very, very quickly. Now, there's a lot of people in the church that don't accept the book of Revelation as being a literal writing. They have all kinds of metaphors and analogies, and they make up all kinds of excuses, but it's not. It's a literal book, and now there are some symbolic things in it. The Bible shows us that when it compares things like something else, but for the most part, it's a word-by-word understanding and an explanation of what's going to happen in the end times. Revelation chapter 18, verse 1 through 20. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and a hateful animal. But if that's not America, nothing is. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of, of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. 
I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she had paid back, and give back to her double according to her deeds. And the cup which she has mixed, mixed twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and not a widow, and I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Lament for Babylon, and the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. That sounds like America too, doesn't it? Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of wood and every article of ivory and every costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice. All these things, it's mentioned in Revelation, that we buy from other countries. It says verse 14, The fruit you long for has gone from you, and all the things that were luxurious and splendid in your country and in your world, Babylon, have passed away from you and men will no longer find him there. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city! She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adored with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great wealth has been laid to waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor and as many as make their living by the sea stood at the distance. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid to waste. Rejoice over here, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Now, I won't try to give you any updates on Christ's return, because only the Father knows those. However, I just don't see what could be any more wicked and vile than to be living in a society that allows, not only allows, encourages little boys and girls to mutilate themselves all in the name of transgender rights. I'm surprised and shocked over these past 50 years at the patience of God and not destroying this nation because of our tolerance of butchering innocent babies in the womb. However, I believe America has crossed the line by making it not only okay, but a good thing when little boys and girls naively allow themselves to be butchered by greedy, evil doctors and hospitals. Church, our only hope for this nation is the life-changing message of the gospel of Christ. Conservative and Christian politicians might have the power to make laws. However, they don't have the power to change the heart and mind of a person like the gospel does. Sadly, I'm afraid that for the most part, the church has become so much like the world that in many aspects, it's hard to tell the differences between the saved and the unsaved. Now, I share all this because God's people who choose to be faithful, need to be ready for the coming persecution. Mark my words, it will not be long before the church of the living God will be forced to choose sides. It will not be long before believers will be forced to choose whose camp they want to dwell in. Choosing to live in the enemy's camp will allow the believer the freedom to keep on enjoying the ways and the pleasures of this world. However, for those of us who choose to openly speak out and say, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, tough times are coming. Here's a little side note. 
Elon Musk might seem like a decent guy, but he's not in this for the Lord. It's mostly about money for Elon. But just so you're aware, Elon Musk is going to be the engineer, sales guy for the Mark of the Beast chip. Remember, you heard that here first. Side note, please listen to my podcast about the judgment seat of Christ. Anyways, let me get back on topic. So in this podcast, I want to share something that I know will encourage those believers who desire to strive to not only please the Savior God who died for them, but also their Heavenly Father. Brethren, in spite of what many Christian naysayers around you might tell you, it is not vain or fleshly to try to please the Lord. In the scriptures, God always tells and implies to his people that if you choose to do what is right in my eyes, I will bless you. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26 through 28. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. There will be blessings if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm about to give you. And there will be curses if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love your God, to keep his commandments and his decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're about to enter and occupy. Our Heavenly Father has always been about rewarding his faithful children. I need to say that again, his faithful children. God's not about blessing his children just because they're his children. He blesses his faithful children. Revelation 22.12, Christ says, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each believer according to what they have done. But please understand that we do not serve a Santa Claus God who hands out rewards regardless of if his children are naughty or not. Deuteronomy chapter 30 goes on to say, But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing that you are about to enter and possess. Please notice the Lord holds a believer accountable for the good or bad things they do. And by the way, even though these verses I just read came out of the Old Testament, there's application for the New Testament church belief. As the Bible says, these Old Testament things happened and were written for our instruction in the church age. It's just as easy for church age believers to get caught up in idolatry as it was for the Old Testament believers. However, idolatry today consists of putting stuff like jobs or money or homes or family or celebrities and sports figures on the altar of worship than it has to do with literal pagan gods. So let's set the record straight. A sinner can definitely do things that please a holy and just God. However, it starts by first honoring the Son. John 5.23, anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. Our Heavenly Father was pleased by the faithfulness of his Son. So why wouldn't the Lord be pleased by the faithfulness of his children? Now let me share this next statement for the hundredth time. Our Heavenly Father knows that in and of ourselves we will never, ever, in this life, please our Heavenly Father 100% of the time perfectly like Christ did. Brethren, being seen by the Lord as being faithful or pleasing does not require us to live a sinless life of perfection. Faithful Christian life is established by consistency to God's Word that's mingled with repentance. The Bible commands God's people to not grow weary of doing good. As I share quite often in my podcast, it's not how you start your new life in Christ, it's how you finish it. Galatians chapter 6, 7-9, through 9, Brethren, do not allow yourself to be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A believer reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And this harvest that Paul speaks about, I believe, is the judgment seat of Christ. 
harvest that you're going to receive if God finds you faithful. There's going to be all kinds of blessings and rewards in eternity for you. Brethren, the Apostle Paul would not tell believers these things in Galatians chapter 6 if it was not their responsibility to get themselves across the finish line of life in a faithful manner. Now, when it comes to pleasing God, unsaved people just don't get it. The problem with unsaved people, no matter how sincere they are, is that they think they can honor God without really honoring, i.e. recognizing his son. You see, there are a lot of church people who are genuinely and sincerely trying to please the Lord through their obedience to their church sacraments or by striving to live godly lives. Now, in and of themselves, those are not bad things to do unless you're doing them for the purpose of trying to please the Lord without first honoring God's son. If you're doing righteous church things, but have not yet recognized God as your Savior, you're basically showing or telling the Lord that what you have to offer him is better than what his son did for mankind at Calvary. So if a person truly wants to be on a journey to please the creator God, it starts with them first honoring God's son, which involves accepting Christ as your Savior. And doing that is essential to understanding that you can never be good enough to earn your way to heaven. So getting born again makes you realize that doing good things doesn't pay for your sins, but doing good things can't please your Heavenly Father. And so becoming a child of God opens your eyes to the fact that you can now do things that please the Lord because the Lord is your Heavenly Father. So getting born again is the first step in pleasing the Lord. So once you're born again, there are many ways that you can please the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8-10 through 10. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light of the Lord. So walk as children of the light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And just how do we try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord? By reading and studying the Bible. I'm going to interject here, people. Don't listen to these dreams and visions you get in the middle of the night. You think it's the Lord telling you to do this or to say this or do this or behave like this or act like this. Whatever you're hearing, if it doesn't line up with already what's established in the Bible, you're being deceived. You're being duped. You're being led astray. You're just allowing your emotions to override logic. Okay, The scriptures are where you're going to find out what we need to do to please the Lord. Anything outside of the scriptures is man-made and it's demonic. Lord knows this church is full of people who are babbling religious stuff that they say they got from the Lord and has nothing to do with the scriptures. So you want to learn what's pleasing to the Lord? You need to read and study your scriptures. Again, brethren, the churches are full of professing believers who have come up with all kinds of non-biblical ways in an attempt to please the Lord. Brethren, we cannot please our Heavenly Father doing anything that goes beyond the truths of His written word. God doesn't care how sincere you are if your sincerity is not Bible-based. God doesn't care how genuine you are if your genuineness is not biblically accurate. John chapter 14, Yeshua replied, All who love me will do as I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our abode with them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Yeshua replied, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is ridiculous, for they teach man-made ideas as commandments from God. I personally believe that at a believer's judgment, which is the judgment seat of Christ, our judge, Yeshua Christ, is going to simply lay the written word of God down in front of us and say, show me in my written word why you believe what you believe. And if we can't, whatever righteous sounding but unbiblical works we were doing, will get burnt up. I, th- I say this because I know that there are a lot of believers who sincerely and genuinely believe stuff that's not for church age believers. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, Christ says, If you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and commandments and teaches them to others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, obviously, when Yeshua Christ said this, it was with the understanding that he did not expect future church-age believers to obey the Old Testament Mosaic commandments that he had given the Jews. When Christ spoke these words, the church epistles, with all its new church commandments, hadn't even been written yet. Sadly, there are many in the church who believe that the Lord cares more about a believer's intentions than their accuracy to sound doctrine. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 says, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of righteous fruit. The Bible says that without faith we cannot please God. Brethren, true faith has to be based on something biblical, or it's not really faith, but religiosity. Let me read some wonderful verses that show Christian wives a great way to please the Lord. First Peter chapter 3, 1-4 through 4. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Please notice, nagging is not a fruit of the Spirit. He says, let your adornment not be merely your external braiding of the hair or the wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden quiet person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Wow. Doing something that is seen as precious in the eyes of God should be the goal of all believers, not just Christian wives. The words in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, refer to how Christ gently and quietly submitted to the authorities above him when he was being beaten and tortured as an innocent man. So in the same way, Christian wives are commanded by the Lord to quietly and gently submit to their husbands because their husbands are supposed to be their authorities. And I know, it's sad, lady, I know a lot of you ladies are married to some real jerks, but so be it. Your responsibility in your ministry is your husband. You should have thought about that before you got married. And I know some of you got into that situation because you became believers and, and the husband never did. That makes it really a struggle. But again, that's your ministry. Hopefully you married a true believer. And you don't have to deal with the daily struggle of trying to win over a husband who's not interested in biblical truth. Just remember, ladies, the good Lord created you to be the gentler, quieter sex. Screaming and nagging at your husband, saved or otherwise, is not how you're called to behave. Again, if you want to be seen as being precious in the eyes of God, that would make you pleasing in the eyes of God, you need to tenderly and quietly try to win your husband over to the Lord through your gentle spirit. Anyways, I digress. Pleasing the Lord is found all over the scriptures. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man or woman's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even their enemies to be at peace with them. 1 Kings 3, 10, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. All the things that Solomon could ask for, he asked the Lord for wisdom. And that pleased the Lord. And the Lord blessed him with everything he ever wanted under the sun. Unfortunately, all that stuff got Solomon sidetracked from serving God. Psalm 69, 30, 31. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. Psalm 149, 4. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Now this verse needs to be qualified. And the qualifying factor is faithfulness. The Lord takes pleasure in his faithful people. Scriptures are loaded with examples of the Lord not being pleased with his unfaithful children. 
In fact, some of God's children made him so angry that he not only severely punished them, he punished some of them unto death. It says in Hebrews chapter 3, starting verse 15, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God? Even though they heard his voice, wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. I need to interject here. Now the unbelief here is not that they were not believers or children of God. The unbelief is that they had a lousy walk of faith. They weren't faithful in their walk. So they were unbelieving believers. Or to paraphrase, they were unfaithful believers. Let's continue on. Hebrews chapter 3, it says, verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. Again, this is written in New Testament Christians. As in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation. Again, I interject. Doesn't sound like he's pleased, is he? Go on to verse 10. Therefore, I was angry with this generation, and I said, They always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, I interject. God held them accountable. Even though they didn't know the right thing to do, they didn't know the right thing to do because they chose to not learn what the right thing to do was. And even when they did learn it, they disobeyed it. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give instruction to our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah here are metaphorical names of cities for Jerusalem. Verse 11, your multiplied sacrifices mean nothing to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Brethren, our Holy Father detests lip service worship. Christ rebuked some of his followers for being phony followers. A true follower of Christ listened and obeyed the words of Christ. Well, Yeshua Christ exposed many of his pretend followers by openly rebuking them when he said, Your words tell me that you are my follower. That means your mouth or your lips are telling me that. But I know that your hearts are not really into what I say or what I tell you because your behavior shows something else. Psalm 81.15 Those who hate the Lord will pretend obedience to him. And your time of punishment will be forever. I could go on and on and on and on. I spent hours just reading all the Bible verses to show children of God that the Lord was not pleased with. In fact, the Lord at one point got so upset and angry with the nation of Israel that he gave the nation of Israel a writ of divorce because of their spiritual unfaithfulness. The nation of Israel were spiritual adulterers, and God divorced them. In fact, the Lord said, you know what? It got to the point where I detested my heritage. I detested my people. And it's because they were unfaithful. So when we read a Bible verse that says the Lord takes pleasure in his people, it means his faithful people. And as earthly parents, we can relate to this. Because some of us have children that are pleasing, and other children are just a pain in the butt. We just don't want to be with them. We don't want to be around them. Uh, they're rebellious, they're disobedient, they're un- ungrateful, unthankful. They're just a major disappointment. 
Now the Lord was especially hard on these Jews because they were supposed to be his people. They were the ones that he gave his sacred holy writings to. These were these were the people who received his instructions on choosing to do the things that bless him or please him or encourage him, and yet they chose time after time after time to be rebellious and disobedient, and it didn't even faze them. Most of the time they had to be had to be punished in a submission because they just chose to refuse to obey God's commandments. Brethren, we really need to wrap our heads around the fact that our Heavenly Father cares much more about why we worship Him than that we worship Him. Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Yeshua replied, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a joke, for they teach man-made ideas as other commandments from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. You skillfully set aside God's commandments in order to hold on to your traditions. Now, I'm sure these tradition followers meant well, but in God's eyes, they were in sin because they were disobeying his commandments to honor their traditions. Again, traditions are wrong. It's just that they become sinful when they replace God's word. As I told you before, the way you're going to find out what pleases the Lord is by reading and knowing your scriptures. That's why he said again, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 10, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's a title. Light in the Lord's a title. That's a noun. It's a title. So the writer says, now you know what? Now you need to start to walk as children of light. It's a verb. It's an action word. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. These verses obviously show that believers must search the scriptures to find those behaviors that please God. We just can't do what's right in our own eyes and think it's going to please the Lord. Now, probably a great example of that is the whole idea of Christ's Mass, Christmas. Now, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with honoring the birth of the Savior, even though it's not biblical. I don't think the Lord would have a problem with that. It could become a tradition in the church if we had the birth of Christ Day. But to call it Christ Mass... Wow, that's creepy. That's a Catholic word, Christ and Mass. A Mass, that means you're having a Mass. A Mass is where they have an altar, where they... Again, you have to think about this stuff, brethren. The Catholic religion really thinks that they take this piece of bread and some grape juice or whatever they have, and they literally believe they change it into the body and the blood of Christ, and that you eat that like a cannibal, and every weekend, every Mass you go to, and what you're doing is you're paying for your sins every weekend. Just imagine you're celebrating the birth of the Savior with a Christ Mass Day. I mean, that's again, that's demonic. Again, but most Christians don't know that. They're ignorant of that. But that's a clear example of doing what's right in your own eyes. And it's also a clear example of a tradition that God would not be pleased with. Just imagine all the people at the judgment seat of Christ who are standing behind the Lord who were killed and tortured by the Catholic religion, and yet you think you're going to honor the Savior's birthday with the word Christ mask? you got to be kidding me. I know, I know, I hear it all the time. People say, well, I'm not doing it that way. It doesn't matter. You're still using the word Christ Mass. Christ Mass. Think about that. Christ Mass. You're celebrating the birth of the Savior who died once for all with the word Christ Mass. Oh, enough of that. I'm just getting frustrated. And sadly, many in the church have this idiotic idea that just because they're a child of God, oh, God just loves me so much. He would never harm me, never hurt me. Oh, it's just he's so pleased with me just because I'm born again. That's a lie from the devil. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 11. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by the cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on the dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. They, were, they weren't water baptized. I'm interjecting. There's a good example of where the word baptized is used. It has nothing to do with water. Verse 3, all of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us, so that we will not crave evil things as they did, or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality or spiritual immorality, as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and they died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as an example for us in the church age. They were written down to warn believers who live at the end of the age, or the, the end of the church age. For reasons that can only be blamed on biblical ignorance, there are many in the church who genuinely believe that the Lord would never ever discipline or punish his children just because he loves them so much. I know Ananias and Sapphira didn't believe that. And I know the Corinthian believers who were sick, dying, and dead don't believe that. Well, enough with the bad news. How about some good news? Here's some pleasing verses. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And how do you do that? By not being conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the change in your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, that is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by believing and not by what we see. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. So whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please the Lord. Colossians 1, verse 9. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That way you'll know what it takes to please the Lord. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents, for this is pleasing to the Lord. First Thessalonians 4.1 Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you, in the name of Lord Yeshua, to live in a way that pleases the Lord, as we have taught you to do. First Timothy 2 Verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Psalm 51, verse 16, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want the burnt offering, or I would offer you that also. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repented heart, O God. Psalm 15.8, The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. Now I can go on and on and on and also give you a, a hundred verses showing ways that we can please the Lord according to the scriptures. And by the way, the wicked spoken of in these verses in Proverbs is not unsaved wicked people. It's people who are supposed to be born-again believers, believers in God, who are just living evil, disobedient, rebellion, unfaithful Christian lives. And the upright in this uh, verse in Proverbs is talking about those 
believers who just choose to do the right thing in God's eyes. Brethren, the Lord is always after our heart. He wants our heart. He wants us to to want to serve Him, to want to walk with Him, to want to obey Him, to want to keep His commandments. Even when we have good intentions, if we wander away from His Word and start doing what we think is right in our own eyes, that's a form of rebelliousness. we got to know what the book is teaching. we got to follow the instructions and the commandments in the Bible, and then we'll be seen as pleasing children. And again, we can get caught up in a situation where just doing those, like they did in the Old Testament. They were being faithful with their sacrifices, but their heart wasn't in it. So just like being at church, you can be at church and show up and, and get caught up in the songs and the music and the, and the, and the family, friends and the buddies and all that churchy stuff and not really want to be doing the things that please the Lord. So we have to, we have to balance out, like the Bible says, we need to balance out our worship with the Lord, spirits and truth stuff. Okay, we can't have too much of each. You can have too much spirit. A lot of people say, oh, you can't have too much. Yes, you can. You can get so carried away in the spiritual, you get caught up in the signs and wonders thing, and it's all about feeling. See, and if you have all these warm, mushy feelings for God, but you're not being obedient, it means nothing to the Lord. Okay, so we need to balance it out. We need to do what the book says, but we need to do it with a sincere and genuine attitude. It says in Second Chronicles 16:9, for the eyes of the Lord moved to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now, when he says completely his, it doesn't mean perfectly his. It just means that we're, we're dedicated and committed, even in spite of our sin nature, to following him and obeying him and striving to do what pleases him all the days of our life. Here's a great example of what I'm talking about. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. And the Lord listened to what they said. That means he's up in the heavens. He's watching what's going on on the planet Earth. And he hears what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance is written to record the names of those who feared him. And always thought about a way of honoring his name. The Lord says, these will be my people, says the Lord of the heavens armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will see the difference between those who were righteous children and those who were wicked children, between those who served me and those who did not. Just imagine it. A special honor or an eternity for those children of God who faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully honored the Lord by striving to have a spiritually healthy fear and reverence for Him and His Word. Again, I want to emphasize that the especially honored children of God were not being honored because they had arrived to a level of spiritual perfection, or because they always did what was right in God's eyes. These Old Testament believers that caught God's eye were sinners saved by grace, just like today's believers, who chose to do that which they knew pleased the Lord. These believers that caught God's eye were imperfect people, who in spite of having a sin-cursed body, had made it a priority to put God first in all that they did. These children of God were recognized simply because they chose to walk the talk and not just talk the talk. Anyone who knows anything about the scriptures remembers that King David was recognized as a man after God's own heart, even though King David had committed some pretty atrocious sins. These Old Testament believers in Malachi were seen by the Lord in the same way that the Lord sees the Christian wife who humbly, gently, and quietly submits to her abusive jerk of a husband, which is precious in the eyes of God. Here's a great verse that people always miss when they bring up these verses. Usually you see this on the Charlie Brown Christmas time here. It says, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, God in the highest, and on earth peace among men. It always stops there, doesn't it? But that's not what the verse says. It says, Luke 2, 14 says, God in the highest, and on earth 
peace among men and women with whom he is pleased. I believe that way too many believers in the church foolishly believe that simply because they got born again sometime in the past, their Heavenly Father automatically gets all Google-eyed just thinking about them. Let me read this verse again. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. God in the highest and on earth peace among men and women with whom he is pleased. It's always been that way. We have to be at peace with God. We have to be at peace with God, not just in our salvation peace, but in our walk of peace, our behavior. Brethren, from the beginning of the scriptures until the end, God has always been about rewarding and blessing his faithful children. He had a lot of children. He didn't reward them all. And for reasons that defy biblical logic, many in the church foolishly believe that simply because they are or got born again, i.e. became a child of God sometime in the past, that automatically puts them at peace with God. It pleases the Lord when a lost person recognizes and accepts his son as a savior. Amen? But brethren, that initial salvation piece is just the beginning of a new child of God's life in Christ. Simply being born again does not keep believers eternally at peace with God. Remember, Yeshua Christ paid off the hell debt of believers. Getting born again or saved does not deliver believers from the consequences of the ways they choose to live their earthly lives. My Bible tells me that if a born-again, blood-bought, eternally saved child of God allows himself to get caught up in the ways and the in the dreams and the visions of this world, they can actually become an enemy of God. And trust me, it's not rocket science. If you're an enemy of God as a believer, God's not pleased with you. James chapter 4 verse 1 starts at verse 1. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you, brethren? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what you want to give yourself pleasure. You adulteresses, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Brethren, it's quite obvious that James is writing to or about people he believes are born again. Listen to me, saints. It's impossible to be at peace with God if our Heavenly Father sees us as his enemy. It's just truly sad to see so many believers just don't see that they're commanded to do certain things if they want to please their Heavenly Father. And it's doubly sad that so many believers think it's foolishness to even try to please the Lord. I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to like hearing, but it's biblical truth. I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of God's children are going to be shocked when they find out their Savior wasn't pleased with them. I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of God's children are going to be shocked when they found out that simply being a child of God is of no real significance to Christ, especially at the judgment seat. Remember, the judgment seat of Christ is a reward judgment and not a salvation judgment. I believe that at the judgment seat of Christ, a lot of God's children are going to be shocked when they don't see Christ run up to them and put his arms around them and give them a big hug. And he's not going to do that because he's ashamed of them. And he's ashamed of them not because they weren't born again, but because they weren't faithful to his word when they were born again. Brethren, we get one opportunity to please our Heavenly Father in this life. And we got to do what the book says. We can't do what's right in our own eyes. We can't keep traditions that go contrary to scriptures. We can't hang on to stuff that the world loves and the world promotes. We need to let go of that stuff. And we got to focus on doing the things that please the Lord. And the only way we're going to know that is if we know what the Bible teaches. As I share quite often, the only way to separate a biblical truth from a biblical lie is to know your scriptures. 
Well, that also goes along with the fact that the only way to know what pleases your father is to know your scriptures, your friend in Christ, Brother Bob.